morning, before we go to the Holy Scriptures and begin the sermon, I want to know how many of you had to fight your way to get here this morning. Come on, it's all right. I mean, you had to get through some stuff to get here. Amen. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes it's part of it that we have to fight our way through some things. I hope that you have already learned by now. Now I'm going to give you some, some, some good carry home stuff right here, amen, before I ever turn to the scriptures and start preaching. I, I, if you haven't learned this, you need to learn this if you haven't already. It's when you don't feel like reading your Bible that you need to read it the most. It's when you feel like not praying that you need to pray the most. It's when you feel like not coming to church that you need to come the most. How many of you have learned those lessons? Amen. Hallelujah. There's a blessing in store. Amen. There's things that God wants to give and things that God wants to do. Amen. That sometimes we have to fight our way through in order to get there. Amen. Always mindful when I read of that, that dear lady that had the issue of blood and that she wasn't well, she didn't feel well, she wasn't 100% healthy. And every day was a challenging day for her. But she determined in her mind that if I can fight my way through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment, it ain't going to be easy, Chuck, to get there. But if I put forth the effort to press through, to press on, to fight my way through the multitude that surrounds him, to get to the hem of his garment. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Sometimes it's just simply... Necessary. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me this Lord's Day to the New Testament book of St. Mark. The Gospel of St. Mark. We're going to read in the 10th chapter, beginning in the 17th verse. The 10th chapter and beginning in the 17th verse to be able to share that which the Lord has put upon our heart today. I'm glad God always knows. Amen. I don't, you don't. But I'm glad that God always knows. For 33 years, I've had the privilege of being able to stand and preach the Word of God. It is a joy of my heart it is an honor and a privilege, a gift that only God Himself can give. I'm thankful that 
the Lord showed me very early on that his word is still relevant, that his word is still quick, which means alive, and powerful, and able to pierce asunder, able to go places that no surgeon's knife can go, able to go places that you and I can't go, able to penetrate where we can't penetrate, is the Word of God. And I'm always mindful every time I study and prepare for sermon that God's going to have people in the house of the Lord and you know, I gave up many, many years ago guessing who'd be there and who wouldn't be there. My responsibility is just study to show myself approved and let God do the rest. I've been amazed over 33 years of preaching to come to realize God knew what I didn't know. And God always prepared a sermon that I didn't have a clue when I was studying what God's intentions were. And today is no different. Today is no different. God's Word has a purpose today, and it's really up to you and I whether we are willing to hear and receive that. How many came ready to receive? Well, that's a good place to start, amen? At least you're not closed off, amen? Well, you get down here a little bit, we'll go home and eat, amen? I came to receive. Stand with me as we reverence the reading of God's Word together. Everyone stand in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and beginning in verse 17. The Bible says, and again, we're looking at a, a point in time in the life of Jesus. And Mark begins by saying this. He says, and when he, talking about Jesus... And when Jesus was gone forth into the way. Most of us, if we were home and we were just doing our Bible reading, we would just read that and we'd move right on to the rest of the story that unfolds behind that statement. But I want to say to you that that is included for a purpose. Mark wanted the readers to know the exact timing of what's about to take place following that statement. In other words, when Mark says, and when Jesus was gone forth into the way. What way? Where was Jesus going? What was the path? that Jesus was now taken because clearly Mark wants us to know that and understand that. And the answer to that question is that Jesus is on his way unto Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to all the suffering and the shame and the humiliation that he is about to endure in order to be Savior of the world. 
You want an Easter message? There it is. Jesus is on his way to give up everything. Are you with me? To lay down everything. That he in obedience would drink from the Father's cup. Not long after this writing, he would be, Alan, in the garden praying to where his sweat was as great drops of blood and he would be praying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. It's important for everything that follows that you understand that's where Jesus is in the moment. That's his mindset. We all have a mindset. You have a mindset. I have a mindset. Jesus in this moment had the greatest mindset. that any mind's ever achieved to go to the cross, Greg, to die for old sinners, not good people, but old sinners like you and me. Then Mark says, it's at that time, it's at that moment, there came one running and kneeled to him. See how it begins to make sense. There came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Quite a young man, wasn't he? All these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. But you're not done. He says, after you've done that, he says, come, take up the cross, and follow me. The Bible says he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Some of you are saying, oh, it's going to be an easy sermon. 
The last thing I am is rich. The last thing I have is wealth. And when we read this story, that's, that's immediately our mindset. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. There's a reason for that. The disciples taking everything in. I'm going to let you sit down. The disciples taking everything in that had just transpired. Are you with me? We're looking into a story that we have to take the whole story as it happens. And so Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus' mindset is Jerusalem and doing the Father's will and all that he came to do. This young man, this rich young man, interrupts the path, comes running unto him, kneels to him, and asks the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus and this man has conversation. The man goes away sad because he has great possessions. Jesus turns to the disciples, preaches a little sermonette, if you will, and says that it is difficult, it is hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Taking all of this in, church, the disciples sighed and say in verse 26 that they were astonished out of measure. Astonished out of measure. It went beyond their thinking. It went beyond their ability. And they asked the question among themselves, who then can be saved? Are you with me? May the Lord add a rich blessing to all the reading of His Word. This is an important place of Scripture. It's an important place that every life, that every soul, that every mind takes time to understand. And the reason that it has such value and the reason that it has such worth is because it's dealing with eternity. It's dealing with salvation. It's dealing with the hereafter. And Jesus himself is in the forefront. Jesus himself is on stage preaching about the most important thing in any individual's life, which is eternal life. Entering into the kingdom of God. Being ready for heaven. When the call comes, two important questions are presented to the Master, presented to the Lord Jesus, 
one from the rich young man and the other from the disciples themselves. The rich young man is standing and looking into the eyes of Jesus, asked the question, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? That I would be guaranteed, that I would be assured of eternal life. And then the second question, by that of the disciples, when they asked the Lord Jesus, who then, who then has any chance, has any hope of being right in the end? Who then can be saved? After all that Jesus had just said, after all that had just taken place in the presence of these disciples, they come with the bomb of a question. Who then can be saved? I want to talk for just a moment I want to put us in a certain mindset. And I want to talk for just a moment about our own approach unto God. I want you to go there with me, so, so play along. Because I'm trusting that most everybody in this sanctuary approaches God on a daily basis whether it be morning or whether it be at noon or whether it be at night or whether it be before, somewhere along the way that we all approach God, that we enter into His courts. And I, that's the mindset that I want you to be in for just a moment. How is it that you, when you go in your sanctuary, whether it be a closet, whether it be knelt down by the foot of your bed, regardless of where, how is it that you approach God? I have a list. And perhaps one of the most often approaches to God is a full plate. I call it the full plate approach. Because I got a lot of things going on. Amen. I've got all these issues. I've got all these problems. I've got all these nagging things that are stressing me out. I've got all these things that are pressing on my life. And, and when I go to God, I, that's what's on my mind. Things that matter to me, things that are important to me, things that, that concern me, things that I walk around with every day of my life. And when I approach God and I enter into His courts, that's the things that are on my mind. And it's the full plate. Lord, I got a lot. Hope you got time. It's going to take a while for me to get off of my plate 
everything that's on it. I got to hurry up. Second approach is just that. I call it the mad rush approach. Oftentimes when we pray, we're in a hurry. For whatever reason, whatever it is that's going to happen after prayer, we want to get to it. It's kind of like when we're really, really hungry and we're bowing to say the blessing, last thing you want is somebody that's going to take 15 minutes to ask the Lord, thank you for what you're about to receive. Amen? Say, thank you, be done with it. Let's move on. Amen? Oftentimes in our approach to the Lord, we go, you know, especially if you wait till late at night, and you, it's been a long day, you're tired, you're stressed out. All you can wait for is for your head to hit that pillow. And so, well, I, I can't go to bed without praying. That's what I do. And so we kneel down and it's like, it's like a machine gun. We're popping off all these requests and supplications to God. It's like preaching, hardly ever even taking a breath. In Jesus' name, amen. And we rush off to bed. Sometimes we use that approach. Sometimes that approach is necessary. Sometimes I don't have long. Alan, I have to, I have to say what I got to say and, you know, do what I got to do, amen. Then there's a third approach, and I like this approach. I like to call this the 9-11 approach to God. It's the stress call. It's the emergency horn. When we go to God and say, you know, God, I, I, I needed you yesterday. I, I mean, God, this miracle has to happen right now. And so we go to God and, and we come to the Lord and, and we're in this, this, this anxious moment. We're in this, this time of, of great tension and, and, you know, it's like, I don't have time, Lord. The miracle has to take place. And so we're in this, all of a sudden, this 911 approach, you know, that it's the Apostle John said, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's an emergency time. And there are times when, that approach is necessary. I'm not making light of the approach. There's times when it's necessary, like it was for those disciples on the ship. Remember them? Jesus was asleep on the boat, and they were bailing water. This was no playful storm. This was a storm like they had never seen before. And they were just doing everything they could to survive and to keep the ship from sinking. And finally, they said, you know what? Jesus is over here asleep, resting on a pillow. And they ran to him. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 38, remember what they said when they woke him up? They said, dost thou not care? that we perish. See, it's a 911 approach. Amen? Dost thou not care? You're laying here asleep. We're fighting for our lives. Do you not even care that we perish? There's times when we do need quick response. 
Amen? God has to show up. Every time I get in this pulpit, God has to show up. I, I need Him to respond in order to preach. There are times when it's necessary, but I want to get quickly to a fourth approach that perhaps is never thought of, and even sadder is seldom used. Are you with me? Again, we're talking about your personal approach to God when you come to his, into His courts, when you enter into His courts. I like to call this approach the empty approach. We're not bringing anything. We're not concerned about anything. We're just coming into God's holy court with empty minds, empty hearts, and empty hands. It's a great approach. In fact, it's the greatest approach. Because when we're willing to empty our plate, when we're willing to realize that what God has for us is greater than what we bring to Him, then we're starting to get somewhere. We're starting to get to a place and to a level of faith that not many experience. It's difficult. Some of you, I know, you're sitting there thinking, hmm, hmm, these preachers on to something. But I challenge you, when you go to bed tonight and you begin to pray, it's going to be real hard to resist Asking God for the things that are dear to you, near to you, things you care about. And just come to God with an empty approach and say, here I am. No request. Now listen, it's not the only approach. The Bible says, bring your requests and supplications unto God. Cast your cares upon the God that cares for you. So that is necessary praying. Don't leave here saying, well, the preacher tried to change my praying from biblical praying. No, it's necessary at times that you lay things out to God. But it's not always the approach that is needed. There are just times when we need to come empty vessels before the Lord and allow heavenly treasures. You see, it's hard to feel something that's already full. And when you're already full of yourself, it doesn't really leave room for God to put anything in. Amen? With all of that in mind, and we take these approaches into our thoughts, I want to look for a moment at this young man's, this, this rich, rich young man's approach to Jesus. There's some lessons there. There's some things that we need to understand. As Jesus is on his way to give up everything, here comes this young man running in, interrupting the moment, 
approaching the Lord Jesus. Let's just let it unfold. In verse 17, the Bible says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him, showing him the worship and the respect that he deserved, kneeled before the Lord and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It was all about him. I've got to push through this. I've got to go quick, so stay with me. What works must I work? What works must I work in order to be assured that I'm going to heaven, that I'm going to gain eternal life? The emphasis was on himself and the efforts that he must make. And so Jesus responds to the question, and Jesus says, okay, since you want to know what you must do, Jesus responds in verse 19, and he says, thou knowest the commandments, right? You know the commandments. And Jesus quoted a few of the commandments, mostly the second line of commandments that deal with our relationships. And Jesus said, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. In other words, Jesus said, live right. Keep the commandments. Obey the law of God. That was his response. Upon that, it gets interesting. The rich young man says in verse 20, And answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now when I first studied this church, listen, let me, let me, let me put this for you. When I first studied this, I just wanted to come up and say, He's lying. His mouth is moving and he's lying. Amen? They were more than two people, but the conversation was between Jesus and this rich young man, and only one of them could claim perfection. And it wasn't the rich young man. The only one standing there that could claim perfection to the law of God was Jesus. Amen? This rich young man claimed what only Jesus could claim. Are you with me? And so I just wanted to immediately say that he is lying, but then I got to researching and I got to investigating, and there's room for debate here. And the question is, was he claiming perfection or was he simply claiming goodness? Because he did use the word observed. I have observed it. In other words, I have put forth my most human effort to keep the law. And I don't dispute that. I don't doubt that. Whether he did or whether he did not. But that was his claim. I bow to any young man, young woman that tries to do the same. Amen that dedicate themselves to try to live life the right way. And boy, that's challenging in today's society. Amen? 
I mean, they're canceling everything. I don't know what you're going to hang on to. I guess maybe they'll eventually get to the Word of God, but I suspect they'll cancel it eventually. Woo, it's a whole other sermon. This young man said to the Lord Jesus, the very one that he called good master, the very one that he's seeking answer how to inherit eternal life, I have observed these commandments from my youth up. Maybe he was just claiming goodness rather than perfection. I'm going to give him that. I want to notice that Jesus, upon his answer, because Mark includes it in verse 21, and I want you to see this and we're just about done. The Bible says, in the midst of this conversation, the Bible says, then Jesus beholding him, what? Loved him. Loved him. It was within my heart of hearts in my studying, and there are just times when you're studying the Word of God and God just flashes this great big light in front of you or this great big mirror in front of you. And it was in this moment and in this verse that I just had to pause and pray and say, Lord, Lord, thank you for loving me. Mark took a pause and all that was happening and all the conversation long enough to let all the readers know that Jesus loved this young man. Whether you agree to his claim, whether you disagree to his claim, Jesus loved him. And I look to all of you and I look to those that might be joining by social media and those that might be joining by FM Transmitter and I say to you, the same is true. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you've done or haven't done, Jesus still loves you. And Jesus loved this young man enough that Jesus was willing to get to the heart. And the heart is where we're going to finish. But, but Jesus loved him enough to get to the heart. And what an incredible moment when Jesus says in verse 21, He says, listen, for the very one He loved, He said, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasures in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Church, recorded in the final words that Jesus would speak to this young man. Are you with me? I'm done. In the final words that Jesus would ever speak to this young man. Because the Bible says after Jesus spoke these words, he was grieved and went away because he had great possessions. Jesus loved him and looked him in the eye and said, you want, you want relationship? 
You see, he moved from eternal life to relationship. Because you can't have eternal life without relationship. Are you with me? See, some people think you can. And there's a lot of people sitting in Baptist pews that think they have eternal life because they someday knelt down to Jesus and some preacher baptized them in a creek somewhere or another and they look to those moments and say, I know I have eternal life, but they have an absence of relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's exactly the direction that Jesus put this young man into. Oh, now you're talking relationship. And if you want to have relationship, then you've got to come and follow. You don't come lead me around. Jesus ain't going to be led around by anybody. He did that on the cross, and he don't need to do it anymore. Jesus said, you want relationship, take care of everything else that's in the way, and give it up to come and follow me. That's relationship. Surrender and submit to me. Church, I haven't preached this in a long time to you. And I'm certainly not the judge of any soul. I'm glad that there's a true and righteous judge in the Lord Jesus Christ that will not make a mistake. He will not make a mistake. But I have knelt and prayed with people. I have knelt and prayed with people at this very altar. And in the old sanctuary's altar. I have knelt and prayed with people in their homes that wanted eternal life. That wanted to know that when they left this world they were guaranteed heaven. But they had absolutely zero desire for relationship with Jesus Christ. And they got up and they went back to being the same old person that they came through those doors being. Because that was their possessions. See, you don't have to be rich. You just have to love you and love your life more than you love Jesus. More than you want to follow Jesus. More than you want to surrender to Jesus. And so the disciples asked the question, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who then can be saved? Because the truth of the matter is, you and I are not willing to exchange who we are, even to follow the Lord Jesus. See? And so Jesus responds to those disciples' questions and says in verse 27, with men it is impossible. Talking about who then can be saved, Jesus says with men this is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, salvation, as I've often said, is 100% God. Zero percent you and me. Amen? 
Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Don't, don't come yet as far as invitation or song. I don't want any distractions at all right now in the house of the Lord as much as possible. Every head bowed, every eye closed. When God saves a life, not, not, not New Hope Baptist Church, not mama and daddy, not a preacher, but when God's grace saves a life, that life is forever changed. And the way that you know that that life is forever changed, listen to me, is there is a trail behind that life of things left behind. Woo, glory to God. I'm about to get all up inside it in here. Amen. For every life that the grace of God has truly touched and changed, there is a trail of things that are left behind. Because old things pass away, right? A biblical salvation, old things pass away. Greg, there's a trail of old things behind trend lines. And behold, all things become new. You see, that's God's salvation. That's God's salvation. It's a new heart. It's a new mind. It's a new power. It's a new life. It's a new relationship that cannot be denied. All of us want the truth to that most important question. What must we do? To inherit eternal life. Jesus has already done it. All we have to do is the same thing that rich young ruler had to do. And those disciples, remember he said the same thing to those disciples, didn't he? Come and follow me. He told Matthew, Matthew, leave your tax collecting table and come follow me. Matthew got up from his tax collecting table and left and followed Jesus. He said to Peter, Peter, leave your boat and your nets and come follow me. Jesus, listen, he left his boat, he left his nets and went to follow Jesus. Luke, oh, Dr. Luke, leave your practice as a physician and come follow me. And Luke did just that. When God saves a life, there is a trail of things left behind. Everyone should see that trail. To God be the glory. Come get an invitational song ready as we stand in the house of the Lord. I'm going to get up out of the way. As they come and prepare to sing our invitational song, and we stand all over the church today. If there's anyone here that needs eternal life, if there's anyone here that needs a relationship with Jesus Christ, up to this moment you've pretended there was one. That pretending won't get you there. But if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's available. It's available. And just as Jesus loved this man, he loves you and invites you to come. Invites you to come. Maybe you're here this Lord's Day and you have other needs upon your heart, other prayer requests. Whatever the need might be, altars open. 